The Backpack Chef has been a culmination of journeys of slowing down, learning to savor all that was around, and leading a life of mindfulness. Being there for friends and people, and learning to care. Join me on this journey as I have conversations with inspiring people who follow their hearts and minds in different ways. And as I share my own personal stories as well, it's leading to a life of mindful living. And you can follow me on my website, michaelswami.com and on social media at the Michael Swami. Everyone has a story to share in search for the less explored worlds of food media and travel. Some journeys are best shared with friends. This is a story that spanned two decades of travel. This is the Backpack Chef and I am your host, Chef Michael Swami. Traveling in India is never easy and especially if you are on a journey of collecting data. Conversations turn into merry adventures. From a career in travel, food, research, styling and writing books to an appreciation for art, color, a love for the stage, children's books and films. She is someone who hates handling a camera. I would like to introduce you to the little lioness, Mukda Sauka. From working on several food media projects to building up brands and preferring to stay in the shadows, she has carved a niche for herself in many fields. So little lioness, Mukda Saukar, will you tell us a bit about yourself and your journey? Hi, Chef. First of all, congratulations on the podcast and thank you for having me over as a guest. Um, it's kind of crazy to to be sitting here and uh, pretending that we're going to have a nice sane conversation. We never do. Yeah, so we'll try today. Uh, a bit about myself. Uh, anyone who's worked with you knows a bit about me. Uh, I grew up in a lot of places. For people who don't know me, I grew up in a lot of places. And um, so I've I've always been linked with food because the only way I found I could be a part of a place and connect with the locals of that place was through food. And uh, my father was very keen that I join hospitality. And I was keen, yes, but I wasn't keen at all. But um, so I went into tourism after my basic schooling. And then, well, fate did step in and I joined hospitality. And I met a teacher called Michael Swami. And as I I passed out, uh, I ended up working with you. And well, it's been... 20 years, and I'm still learning from you. The journey continues. Oh my God, it's been 20 years. Well, let's get down to the serious bits, you know, and not the bashing up of each other every once in a while or grumbling at each other. But every journey has its ups and downs and fights and hugs and grumbles and what have you not. You once did a bit of stage work when you were a child, and from there you went on to study travel and tourism and food. So how did you land up into the world of food media? Uh, if you talk about the journey, I think I, I took life the way it came. Uh, I don't, I'm not one who believes in making a lot of plans, and that's how I live my life. So whatever came, I took it, uh, this, the opportunity to study travel and tourism came my way. I took it. I enjoyed it. Uh, Hotel management was an accident. It fell into my lap. I took it. Uh, You offered me a job near the end of my course. Uh, I took that 
at the time simply because I did not want to uh, have a job which was a 9 to 5 job of just chopping cherries and making cakes although I loved bakery um, and I had interned under you, you'd given us a chance to intern under you when you did your food styling assignments and I found that very interesting and I had kind of wished that I would like to do something different every day of my life and when you offered me that job to work with you, um, that actually was the chance to do something different with every day of my life and that's how food media also happened, it came to us, I mean I think we first started with styling, we went into consultancy, we did menus, training, and then one fine day you told me that I'll be receiving a call and to take that call and to answer positively to that call and to go for that meeting and all of a sudden we found ourselves on uh, the TV show. So yeah, that's how it happened. TV shows are a big struggle and a pain at times, I'm sure. You know, the stress levels are very high, and I remember you once wanting to bash me up at that time, and when we were planning to do the second part of that season. Yeah. And I'm still alive to tell the tale a couple of, one decade later. I remember you traveling on several projects in India, and I think one of the first projects was setting up the Dabas for Bharat Petroleum. And I think that led you to also researching food along the way. So tell us the importance of research and fact-checking and how important is it for youngsters of today to actually do some research? Research is, uh, first of all, there's a whole myth surrounding research. And in the current day and age of social media, I've seen that research is a very limited term to something that you pick up, you know, bits of information that you pick up while you're scrolling through social media platforms. Uh, no, research can very well be a career for people who, who really like to get to the bottom of things. It is researching. Someone has already searched things. Uh, you just kind of re-explore those areas to try and find new avenues to try and shed new light onto those topics as well as uh, kind of reiterate and re-solidify uh, what the person before you has found out in terms of the truth. I think research is very important and fact-checking is very important. It's been important to me, not only when I write books, because a book for me is something that will outlive me and outlive so many of us. And so I really don't want the future to believe in something that isn't true. Um, but other than that, also in my practical day-to-day -day life, uh, I think research and fact-checking has been very important because it helped us to sift the authentic recipes from those that weren't really authentic. And uh, so our research in food, you mentioned the, the Gardaba project by, that we did with BPCL. That's when I realized how much of Indian cuisine is misunderstood and how much of it is generalized. And uh, so it's important that you not only research a food, but you also research a place. You research the history, the culture of the place which also includes the folklore because it talks about the taboos. And from a business perspective, from the perspective of maybe putting together a book or a TV show or even opening a restaurant um, or even styling for an image, be it packaging, be it for an article in a magazine, I think it's important because you need to know 
the do's and don'ts of the food that you are presenting to the world. Wow, there's so much information. And along the way, whilst we've been working in studios and we've had many adventures, I remember one adventure we had where we were doing 300 cocktails. We were shooting them over three months. And I think I was almost sozzled throughout the, that entire process. And then we did another book where we were drinking, I think, throughout the entire shoot. And you were drinking. I was drinking, yes. You were forced to drink. I was forced to drink. And um, I was actually asking you and my assistant to actually check the focus at times. And a lot of the picture, and we actually won an award for that. Yeah. Uh, it was the Gurmand Award for that book. And, uh, but those have been some of my adventures. So tell us about some of the adventures that you have had in the studio. I don't know. I think, you know, those could make a series of books. Adventures in the studio with Michael Swamy. Those could be... <laughs> yeah, those could be legendary. I remember one story of where this, uh, the wife of the client was just eating all day. And I said, and Muxi said, you said, you know, why is she eating so much? And I just casually said, she must be pregnant. And, and she turned out to be, nine months later, they came in with a baby. <laughs> <laughs> so, and nine months later, they came into the studio with a baby. And there was so much, you know. But there's so much you also gauge about a person. You learn about people. Uh, and some of them also, you, you also meet the, the good people and the swindlers too. And uh, I think we've had our fair share of those. So. Yeah, but I think I've learned so much about food through those adventures also. Uh, so much about, I think, salvaging situations more than anything. I remember the time we were doing masala dabba when uh, you made the fish curry, the, the riverboat fish curry, I think we've called it. The, it's, it's, it's the Keralite fish curry. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it was great because uh, you did the, you, I made the curry and I always tell you with my habit of tripping over wires and I had told you please don't set up the shot till I've brought the curry and I remember bringing the curry tripping over the wire falling and the curry going all over the floor <laughs> and then <laughs> I remember both of us kind of on our knees you mopping up curry from the carpet and me kind of scraping it with a spoon till I had enough gravy and then we you but you showed me uh, to pick up the best two fish pieces that were still intact we put those and then with a spoon I remember scraping the curry from the carpet and you plating it. So instead of putting it in a bowl like we had planned, you showed me how to drizzle it over the fish and we took that shot. And I remember <laughs> it came full circle when we were sitting with the publisher and the designer said, Michael, this is the best shot in the book. And, <laughs> and I remember one more adventure where, uh, you remember we went all over Hyderabad looking for, I think, 100 kilos of green chilies because we had to make a... Shower yeah. of green chilies for the contestants on the mm. food show because we had set up a, a task of chopping chilies. Um, there are so many adventures. I mean, I don't know where to start, but I think my favorite one would be the fish curry. I think that's that's my favorite one. Well, um, I think the one of my favorite ones is when uh, it was Christmas Day and I was carrying two eggs and my I dropped them on my mother's brand new white carpet because I thought I could toss them in the air and catch them. Yeah, you were, you were trying to juggle, I remember, and, and it was great because that moment is still stuck in my head when the egg broke and we heard a gentle voice saying, Michael, what are you doing? 
and <laughs> all hell broke loose after that i think yeah, yeah that's that's another favorite mm. yeah. and uh, so many adventures and misadventures tell us about some of your favorite children authors and their books and why youngsters of today need to read some of them how do you relate to stories on travel and kids or children's stories for me are also adventures i think uh, i experience vacations and adventures when i read a children's book and uh, to this day i think i think in fact i think children's literature is in its golden age right now um some of my favorite children's authors i think would be ruth cross number 1 for um, a lot of her stories but particularly the carrot seed uh, i think i learned a lot of food also i think my my the seeds so to say of a career in food were uh, sown at a very young age because i was always attracted to children's books that had some kind of food in it and uh, the carrot seed was one i think it's the shortest book ever made but it's a book that teaches you the power of belief so that ruth cross is definitely there um i like peter reynolds a lot right now i like tommy de paula when um, as an 8 year old when i had moved to a different country uh, it was his book stregonona that really made pasta a very friendly food for me i wanted after i read the book is when i stopped getting scared of trying pasta i wanted to try pasta and like it only because of that book um i think eric karl pancakes pancakes these are the kind of books that i actually uh, would suggest that hotel management institutes keep in their libraries because despite it being a children's book it actually tells you the story of how something as simple as a pancake is made and how many people uh, go into making one dish i mean the little boy first goes to the farmer gets wheat he goes to the miller mills the wheat he goes to the farmer gets milk his mother churns the butter he goes to out to to his grandmother helps her collect eggs they make it to the pancake and somebody has traveled and gifted them a little box of cinnamon which makes it to the pancakes and then he goes out and he he remembers how you know maple syrup and things come from trees so it i think these are the kind of picture books that we need not just for children but also for food culinary students because it it shows you how many people touch your table on a day to day basis so i'm sure a lot of people are going to hop out and buy some of these books and um, you know you told us about some of your adventures on your travels and but tell us something inspirational about gratitude for our listeners gratitude well it's life changing it's something that i believe in something that i practice all the time uh when i say i practice it i don't say i write in a journal and no i don't do those kind of things um but gratitude is something that came to me several times when um i was actually part of a situation where when i think about it when i think back to those moments i wouldn't have been here um i think the first the first instance was when uh, a chandelier had fallen in our house and during the summer my sister and i we would sleep on the floor right under that chandelier and one night it was <laughs> we one afternoon we spotted a lizard in the room and we decided not to sleep there that night that was the night the chandelier fell and it was since that moment that i realized that uh there is you know i may not have a lot of other things but at least every single day i wake up 
I have my parents, my sister, I have my friends uh, around me. I have moments of so much laughter. Uh, I have everything that I could I could possibly wish for. And so it just kind of shifted my focus from what I didn't have or what I aspired to have to just being grateful for what I do have. And that I think it's nice if everyone can kind of look at the world in that way. Because, yeah, I think even if you have nothing else, but you have the ability to laugh, I think that keeps you going on. So that's something about gratitude that all of us should take home with. And uh, so Mugzi, which I've always called you that over the past few decades, and thank you for coming on our podcast, The Backpack Chef, and sharing your story and journey so far. Thank you so much, Chef. Um, It's been a little weird and a little difficult having like this formal sane conversation with you. So now that the podcast is over, we can go back to being... Ouch! And if the listeners want to follow you, where can they follow you online? I know you hate being online, but... Uh, I'm not on any social media platform. But uh, those who know me know my email address. You can write to me, say hi. Um, and I'm not, I'm not really a telephone person or a WhatsApp person. I like letters. So yeah, you could send me an email... Um, And I'd be really, really happy to connect. So thank you so much once again. And thank you to our listeners for tuning into the show. I will be back next week with yet another amazing story. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TheMichaelSwami for more interesting content. Thank you. Welcome to The Backpack Chef. I am your host, Chef Michael Swami, author of Free Spirit and Wanderer. I'm going to talk to you about a way of life. It's called the gentleman's chef, and it's a notion of mindfulness in the kitchen, and how the ways of the jungle have taught me about life and hospitality. The story of the pond will always keep recurring every now and then. Water seems to attract me everywhere I go. If you believe in the elements of fire, air, sky, earth, and water, They all connect in intrinsic ways. All journeys start with growing up and working to create your own dream life. But the desire of searching for oneself comes to everyone at different stages in their life, making them go on yet another journey. I found mine in the jungles of central India. You can find a bit of yourself anywhere be it in the jungle, be it in the cities, be it beneath a tree within a cacophony of noise or within silence. The silence of the jungle is beautiful. You only have to immerse yourself within it to find out what it is saying to you. I first heard that silence up in the Himalayas. That time, the sound scared me and we left the hotel earlier than expected. I cannot explain it but it was a lonely sound. Several trips again into the mountains and I accepted it and listened. It's like listening to a jazz band playing on an old turntable. You listen to the music and listen to each musician supporting the other, each having his few moments of glory in solo and each returning to the tune at hand. It's a symphony of sound that takes you into another realm. I hear that journey when I'm near a pond 
any pond in a forest. I sit and listen to the jungle, the chirps of the birds, the buzzing of the dragonfly, the butterflies like fairies atop the slender reeds, the geese and ducks in the distance, each taking care of their own, yet peacefully sharing space with others. And unconsciously, I begin comparing the world around the pond to a kitchen. I think back to the days of kitchen discipline, where I learnt under several chefs. It was like a family. The senior chefs headed the family and tried to parent the youngsters in the best way they knew, sometimes using a verbal trashing to drive a point home. Senior chefs were so confused when leading teams that they never really taught the juniors. Leadership was taught by intimidation and fear, by yelling and humiliation, just like an overzealous perfectionist parent. Well, those days have changed. Through gentle training and teamwork, a silent kitchen is not that hard to achieve. Within the pond, there are systems and rules and it's no different in the restaurant or the kitchen. The rules are simple, like every symbiotic relationship, a give and take. Just like at the pond, it's important to make sure everyone knows his role to play in the order of things. This breaks down the noise and confusion and brings about a calmer chef. You get rid of the religion and the politics and raise them well and you can achieve miracles. You can achieve a gentleman chef. Beyond one's personal space of procreation, each species in the pond is helping the other. Each species builds its life around the other species. Some even mimic other species. And you see this in the kitchen too. To create the gentleman chef persona, you have to treat the staff as such, training and molding them be more than just chefs, making them proud of their uniform and giving them respect so that food of a high degree is delivered, showing them how to take inspiration from someone else. So taking a bit out of life's book at the pond, just as with any creature in the wild, a chef who is mindful of his environment will only set out to create and discover. His home life, his aches, his pains, his worries does not enter into the workspace. All that remains is the here and now and the food. So all you listeners out there and you chefs, I think it's time for us to start to become the gentleman chef. This is Chef Michael Swamy and you are listening to my podcast. You can follow me on social media at the Michael Swamy, or you can check out my blog on my website, michaelswami.com.